everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right, well, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited for you to join us. Uh, We are in week two of a new series called Worldview. Uh, And I am so excited about this topic, and I think I say that every time I'm up here preaching, because I'm always just so excited about the topic. Uh, But worldview is really fun, because what we're doing is taking a look at how we view Scripture, how do we view God, and then how do some of our global partners view God as well. Uh, I came on staff here about 13 years ago, and back then we had this conversation going of how great would it be to have some of our global partners preach in our services. We could never figure it out. Technologically, there were so many gaps to make it work. Um, And this month, this coming up month, we're going to be doing that. Uh, You're going to be hearing from some of our global partners, and at the same time, we'll have a preacher on stage who will kind of bookend what they say, help explain some things, kind of bring some context to us. And I am so excited because it turns out that although Scripture is true, and although Scripture doesn't change, the way that I read Scripture isn't the same as some of you or somebody from another country, somebody from another culture, somebody from another worldview. And so we have an opportunity to hear from some other people and potentially get a whole different view of Scripture uh, than maybe you've ever heard before. Uh, And I'm excited, and it makes me think, about eight or nine years ago, uh, we had a student come. I was downstairs, I was teaching youth, and we had this new sixth grade girl come. I hadn't met her before, she sat in, it was great. At the end of the service, her mom came up to talk to me. I came downstairs and introduced herself, we were talking And just making small talk, and she said, I want you to know, uh, I'm terrified to be at your church. And I was like, well, it's nice to meet you too. No, I'm like, can you explain why? And she said, yeah, I was raised Catholic. I've been Catholic my whole life, raised my kids Catholic. Uh, My kids know Catholic church. Uh, My kids can tell you the Bible better than almost anyone I know. They know the Bible so well. That's great. They said, but our daughter, as she gets to sixth grade, as we start to ask her questions, not just about the stories of the Bible, not just about what Scripture says, but about this, like, relationship with Jesus. Uh, What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus or connection with Jesus? The answers that she's giving us, uh, they're kind of falling flat, and we're terrified as parents, and we don't know what to do. So we decided to check out these Protestant churches, and let me tell you, you guys do things very differently than what I'm used to. I said, yeah. I said, hey, let me see if I can help explain what I know. Uh, The church that you grew up in, the church that you went to, I I have a lot of friends who are Catholic. I have family members who are Catholic. And my experience when I walk in is this feeling of being really small. Like God is so big. And I look at these beautiful windows. I look at this beautiful architecture. And I just get this sense that there's this God that is so much bigger than me. And it's beautiful. And I mean that in just a beautiful, powerful way. Is that true? And she said, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, there's this feeling of, like, God is over all, and and you're doing it with people. And I said, so that is, in my experience, the slant of most Catholic churches. Uh, Discovery has a different slant. Um, Whereas I might walk into a Catholic church and just be in awe at the reverence of God, 
Um, very few people, I think, have walked into the barn and immediately been in reverence of God. In fact, true story, there are people I've met many Sunday mornings who came in and said, I've always wondered what this was. I saw cars in the parking lot, so I figured I would just show up. I get it. This building looks interesting. See, we have a slant as well. As I'm talking to this mom, I said, we probably in a lot of ways fail on some of the reverence piece. Um, we, we do it. We talk about it. But we generally aim for this relationship with God, this freedom in Christ. You'll hear a pastor say things like, Jesus died so that I don't have to blank anymore, whatever that fill in the blank is. I say, so as long as you understand that, I don't know that we're better, but we're going to give a different view. Um, And this mom said, all right, let's try it. And I'm still a little freaked out. We'll see how this goes. Over the next few years, it was really fun to walk with this family as this young girl who really could answer every question. She knew everything I was talking about. Um, But when we'd get to conversations about relationship or this relationship with God, um, you could see this, I know the answer I'm supposed to give, but what do I do with it? Um, Walking with a student now who's now uh, an adult off in college, it's been so fun to watch this journey. And to be fair, it's not enough to talk about this dichotomy between Catholic churches and Protestant churches. Um, Because there would be this fun experiment you could do. You pick a Sunday and you come here. We are a Protestant church. You hear about relationship with God. Uh, you hear about this freedom in Christ. And then the next Sunday, you go down the street to Risen Savior Lutheran Church. Also a Protestant church. Um, very different way that they approach God. Uh, very different way that they approach Scripture. Very different way that they teach. The, the service would feel very different. The next Sunday, you travel down Sheridan to about 119th, and you check out Victory Church, Protestant Church. Very different from the way they teach, very different from the way they approach Scripture than us. All of us, kind of in the same stream of Christianity, um, all approaching church very differently. That final week, you end up at Immaculate Heart of Mary down in North Glen. Four weeks, four churches who are chasing God, and four completely different ways to do it. Because we all have different paradigms. We all have different ways that we approach Scripture. Uh, We all have different ways that we were raised, different cultures that affect how we view Scriptures. And, and I'll use this word carefully, we all have a bias in the way that we approach Scripture. There are things that we talk about more than others. There are things we talk about less than others. And that's just in Western America. What does that look like when we add in cultures all around the world? I'll give you an example. We're going to start in Luke 15. Uh, it's a story called the prodigal son. If you have a Bible, it's going to be in Luke 15:11. We're going to go to verse 24. If not, you can follow along on the screen. But as you do, I want you to listen carefully to what happens to this young man. Here we go. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, Dad, I know when you die I'm going to get an inheritance, but I want it now. So his father divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. The story goes on further to talk about this father's relationship with his sons and one son being jealous and this beautiful story of redemption. I want you to pause for a minute and think. I'm going to ask you to think about an answer for this next section I go to. Why was the son having to eat with the pigs? So think about that answer. From the story I just told you, why did the son have to eat with pigs? In their book, Misunderstanding Scripture Through Western Eyes, Randolph Richards and Brandon O'Brien talk about a study done by Mark Allen Powell. Uh, Mark Allen Powell had this assignment he did for a class. He took 12 seminary students, uh, students who were there to study the Bible, to maybe become pastors, to learn the Word of God. He said, I want you to read the story of the prodigal son from Luke's Gospel. I want you to close your Bibles, and I want you to retell the story to a partner while I listen. Of the 12 seminary students who retold the story, none of them mentioned the famine that was found in Luke 15, 14, uh, and th- which precipitates the son's eventual return. When they retold the story, they just forgot about the famine. Powell found this omission interesting, so he organized a larger group of students. He got 100 students. This time, he got them from different religions, different socioeconomic classes, different ethnicities, different races, and said, hey, I want you to read this story in the Bible. I want you to retell it to somebody while I listen. Of those hundred students who retold it, six mentioned the famine. The other 94 did not. He began to refer to them as the famine forgetters. And whenever he did this study anywhere in America, the majority of the class wouldn't mention this famine found in Luke 15, 14. They would mention the fact that this son squandered his father's wealth, They would mention that he had to crawl back to his father, but they forgot about this famine that had hit the land. Later on, Powell had the opportunity to try this experiment again in another country, um, St. Petersburg, Russia. He gathered 50 participants to read and retell the story, and of the 50, 42 of them mentioned the famine in their retelling. Why? Because just 70 years before, 670,000 people had died of starvation after a Nazi German siege of the capital city began a three-year famine. Um, Famine was a part of their history. Uh, Famine was a part of their stories. Famine was a part of their imagination. But based on where they were born culturally, uh, the stories were told very differently. 
uh, they put together this graphic um, that I find fascinating. Why was the prodigal son in the pig pen? Well, if you're me, and when I was asked this question this week, I said, well, because he squandered his father's wealth. If you grew up in a country that you've struggled to eat, you might say, well, there's a famine in the land, of course. Or if you're in a country that has a very communal sense where we work together, you might say, well, it says nobody stopped to give him food. So the question is, how do you read Scripture? How do you hear about God? And do you read it differently than other people? Uh, This series, Paradigm, as we hear from our global partners, uh, you might start hearing things from them that you're like, that feels different from what I know. Um, Are we reading the same passage? Um, Is that true? And and this is what we're going to dive into. Because the question is, what happens when we add in cross-cultural or heaven forbid, a holy book written thousands of years ago by people with a completely different worldview coming from an ancient religion most of us know very little about, written in another language that contained words we don't have and concepts we struggle to understand, written by people whose lifespans were shorter, whose days were different, pre-industrial revolution, and a more communal society. And, And they wrote the words of the book that we preach from Um, And we do our best to understand it, um, often by putting some of our own suppositions on it. And if you feel super uncomfortable right now, that's okay. Um, This is really exciting as we dive into it. So today I want to talk about our paradigms. How do you and I read scripture? How do we think about God and how is that different from other people worldwide? Do we have all of the answers? Uh, Do we have some of the answers? Um, Or are we missing something? Uh, These are questions we'll be diving into, and it's a little unfair because this particular sermon uh, could probably be delivered over like five to seven weeks, and you're getting it in one, which means that we're going to kind of do a fire hose approach here. And if you're interested, I have some ways for you to pursue this after. And if not, you can just write this off and move on to the next one, no problem. So I want to start with some of our cultural values and sayings and what we aim for. And this is not meant to knock any of our cultural values. Uh, I love where I was born. Uh, I love who I am. I love where I'm from. Uh, I love the country I'm a part of. Uh, I love the values that I hold, but I do have to recognize that those values come with a way of thinking. For example, some cultural values. In general, as Americans, we value punctuality. We value efficiency. We value hard work. We value freedom. We love underdog stories. We love stories of someone who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Hey, it's great if someone is rich, but if they started out really poor and then got rich, how amazing is that story? We have a high emphasis on your immediate family. Uh, Your core, your nuclear family is really important. And for many people, that importance lessens the further out you go. Not all, um, but there's a heavy emphasis on that immediate family. We love people who work for their future, who plan for the end, uh, who put things in place. We love systems. We love processes. We love to be in the know. And when we have 60% of the answer, it can be debilitating. And we have to have that other 40%. Which is why theology can be so hard, because we get these questions in Scripture, 
And the smartest people I know can give you most of a good answer. But there's some things that you, they'll say leave up to faith or ask questions, and that is so uncomfortable. And these cultural values can lend to how we read the Bible. For example, when we read the Bible, the Bible tends to be action-oriented. In other words, what is it telling me to do? What is my next step? What does God want me to know? How do I grow from this? How do I apply this to my life? What do I take away from this? Um, We tend to have a pretty individualistic reading of Scripture. Uh, And we tend to have a focus on relationship with Jesus and freedom in Christ. Uh, There are plenty of stories we read in Scripture, and we're like, well, that's great, but I have freedom in Christ, so I I don't know if that applies to me. We talk heavily about relationship with God, or I use phrases like, talk to God like you're talking to a friend. God is so close you can reach out and touch him. These are some general American values in the way that we approach Scripture. Um, And if you're in the room right now and you're super offended, and and you hate that I have caricatured you, um, here will be my challenge to you. What are your values? What is your worldview? And how does that affect how you view Scripture, how you read Scripture, and how you listen to the person up on stage? Because it does. Uh, And not just because of where you live, because in Costa Rica, um, their cultural values affect the way that they see Scripture. In Albania, their cultural values affect the way that they see Scripture. It's just normal. So if you don't hold to any of the values that I've put on us, um, what are yours? It's a great book that I've read that I I recommend. I love it. It's called Grasping God's Word. It's a book on interpreting Scripture. And this entire book is all these different ways to interpret Scripture and and how do you figure out what the author meant and then how do you bring that to our current culture because Paul wrote 2,000 years ago and he wasn't writing to an American. So how do I bring his topic to us because it's so valuable? And the writer of Grasping God's Word has a statement that feels so simple. He says, the correct way to interpret the text is the way the author intended. The correct way to interpret the text is the way the author intended, which seems very simple, right? The question is, how do you always know what the author intends? And if we come across a section of scripture that we don't know how to interpret or we don't know the context of, we often add in our own values or beliefs or our own thoughts, usually subconsciously to fill in the blanks. Let me give you an example. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, 14 through 19. This is a letter to the church of Laodicea. Has anyone ever heard of this? This is a popular one. In fact, generally, when a preacher says we're going to go to the book of Revelation, this is the only part we touch because we don't understand most of the other parts. Because in churches, there are things that we overemphasize. Most churches in America, like, we have a strong standard on, for example, marriage, sexual ethics, dating, relationships. Like, a lot of churches will talk about that. When was the last time you were at a church that talked about angels, demons, the witch of Endor, malicious spirits? the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, they talk about it, and depending on the church you go to, they may talk about that quite a bit. Uh, But in general, in the United States, um, we tend toward the analytical. 
we tend toward the things we can understand. And we look at these parts of Scripture and we say, that's great, but I don't always know what to do with it, so I'm going to ignore it, which is about 22 chapters of Revelation. Now, this one feels really easy to understand. Revelation 3, 14 through 19. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that they are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, salve to put over your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. I have preached on this passage probably at least a dozen times in my last 10 years. And let me tell you the way that I've preached it every time. God desires you to be hot or cold not lukewarm. And if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out of his mouth. God wants you to be on fire for him or all the way out. But if you are just a fence sitter, like that's worse than anything. Has anyone ever heard that passage preached that way? Absolutely. Hey, that might be true. That might be the way that that passage is intended to be read. Uh, It is very possible that as John writes this, he says, hey, God either wants you all in for him or all out, but being in the middle is bad. Or is it possible that a first century Christian hearing this would have heard it this way? Hey, you live in Laodicea. Isn't Laodicea the place with the really bad water? The place where the water is kind of tepid and it's lukewarm and it's really minerally. And when you drink it, you want to throw up. It's gross. And what's worse is just a few miles away, we have Herapolis. They have those beautiful hot springs. You know those hot springs where you can just sit and rest? And then only a few miles away is Colossae. We have a, a picture of it we can throw up. But Laodicea, you have this really bad water. I wish that you were like those hot springs in Herapolis. I wish you were like that cold water in Colossae. But instead, you're like that tepid water that comes from the aqueduct. That kind of makes you just want to spit it out and throw up. Or is it possible that the, the early writer intended to say, hey, you know when you're in Laodicea, again, the place with the bad water, and the person says, hey, here's a hot drink, you think, whew, good, a hot drink. Or they say, oh, how about a cold drink? You're like, whew, a cold drink. They say, hey, how about a lukewarm drink? And you think, oh, I need to go to the bathroom real quick because that sounds terrible. A, a first century Christian may have heard it that way. When I read this passage, Uh, I read it very much as an individual. I read it as a way for how can I do better and pretty self-focused. If you don't know about those cities or Laodicea's water supply, if you don't know about the practices of the time, then all you can do is put your own spin on it. And that spin tends to be about doing better. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's what John intended in Revelation 3. And maybe it's not. But this type of thing is common in Scripture. We tend to fill in the blanks, and when we do, we add our cultural norms. Uh, What if that passage is, I wish that you were either hot, which is awesome, or cold, which is awesome, just don't be lukewarm. 
completely different from every way I've ever taught that. So if I ever have taught you that way, I may have been right. If not, I'm, I'm repenting right now, so I'm really sorry. We love systems. And because of that, uh, I'm probably only perpetuating the issue by giving you another system. But if any of this makes you wonder, is there a better way to look at Scripture, I have an opportunity for you. Uh, There's a class that I took my freshman year of Bible college. It was called How to Read the Bible. And I was almost offended taking this class because I was like, I know how to read the Bible. How hard is it to read the Bible? And then two weeks into the class, I realized I had no idea how to read the Bible. Uh, They gave us a book by a guy named Howard Hedricks called Living by the Book. Living by the Book, phenomenal book. You should absolutely pick it up. Every chapter is like three pages long. And here's what he says. As an American Christian, here's what we do. We open up our Bible. We go to a piece of Scripture. We interpret it. We apply it to our lives. We move on. He said, we go to a piece of Scripture. We look at it. We say, here's what I think it means. We apply it to our life. We move on. And he equates that to building a house. He says, if interpretation are the walls of the house, and if application is the roof of the house, you're building a house with no foundation. He says, instead, what you should be doing every time you read Scripture is open your Bible, find a passage, and observe it, and observe it, and observe it, and take your time and read it and figure out what the author is getting out of it before you ever step into interpretation or application. Because you can fix bad walls. Uh, You can fix a roof with holes in it, but if your foundation is bad, uh, the house crumbles. So the question he always got was, well, how long do I observe a passage? Because I like to have a plan. I like to know how long I'm going to do this. I read my Bible for 15 minutes a day. I, I have a plan for how to do this. How long do I stick on a piece of Scripture? And his reference, the one that he starts every class with, is Acts 1.8, one of my favorite passages. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, so far, every class, we've had write their observations, and we're up to about 6,000 observations so far. And I think we're still going. One small piece of Scripture. Highly inefficient. A highly inefficient way to read Scripture But even that section of the book, if you pick up the book for that one chapter, you'll read that verse and think, there's a bunch here that I didn't get. Because I got some of this, but there's a lot I haven't observed because I hurry, um, because I have things to do. Uh, I'm going to throw a slide up, which are just some of the books I've referenced. If you want to check any of these out, you're welcome to. They'll be up till the end of the sermon. Um, I want to talk about Costa Rica. I want to talk about worldview. Uh, So this last year, I had an opportunity to go to Costa Rica to visit one of our global partners. It was wonderful because I got a chance to take uh, my wife and children as well. Got to have the conversation with children, which some of you know if you've ever traveled with your kids. Like, hey, you know how you're a picky eater? Great, not anymore. Because if someone offers you your food, you're going to eat it. And we will deal with the consequences later. Or, hey, when someone talks to you, can you please make eye contact? Can you please just say thank you? Can you please just nod? And my wife has traveled all over the place. I have traveled all over. I've been to Costa Rica many times, and I still just forget every time. We get there on a Saturday night. Sunday morning is church. Church starts at 9 a.m. We are good Christians, so we show up to church on time. We got there at 8. We had breakfast. 
8.30, we start to eyeball the seats we're going to sit in. Some of you might already know where this is going. 8.50, my team, who are awesome, I'll get ready to sit down. 8.55, 9 o'clock, there's nobody starting church. Everyone's talking and drinking coffee. So I'm like, okay, probably just waiting for a second. 9.05, 9.10, 9.15, 9.20, I'm having like a panic attack because church has not started yet. I finally go up to the pastor, so the translator, and I say, hey, why has church not started yet? Were we early? Is church at 9.30? He says, well, church starts when God's people show up. God's people aren't here, so why would we start church? I'm like, well, obviously, that's the answer. So we wait. Five minutes later, a bus arrives. People walk two hours to come to church every Sunday, so the pastor sends a bus to pick them up sometimes. They get out. I'm excited. Church is getting ready to start. I go back to my seat, but they're all still standing around talking. Ten minutes later, another bus. Ten minutes later, another bus. Probably about 50 people show up. Then the pastor moves towards the stage and people go to have a seat. The nine o'clock service started at 9.45 or 9.50. Church starts and the pastor gets up and addresses us and then they lead worship. And then the worship leader steps off the stage and another one steps on and they lead worship again. And I could tell they probably hadn't practiced because he got about two verses into a song before the band goes, oh, okay, it's that song. And they started playing with him. Then he stepped off the stage and then another worship leader stepped on three different styles. We worshiped for probably like an hour. Then the pastor gets up and speaks, and I think there was more worship. Then open mic, everyone in the audience can talk, anything they can share, testimonies. Then we end in prayer. We got church done in just under two hours. It's a very different experience. Uh, The whole thing was relational. In, In the middle of the sermon, if you had something to say, you just, you raise your hand, pastor would say, hey, Come on up. It looks like you have something from God. That's not how we do things here at Discovery, <laughs> to be very clear. You may have noticed, some of you, that I clo- we close the doors at 9 o'clock, so you got to sneak in really fast. And we have worship, and it's great. And then we have an announcement video, and then the preacher gets up and talks for a, a pretty set amount of time. There's a window. Then we do worship and communion and worship. And it, it's great. And I don't want to knock it because that's how we do things in America. That, it's a cultural value of us. It's this timeliness. It's this punctuality. There's an order to things. That's not bad. But if you take that as the only way that church should ever be done and you apply it to our Costa Rican friends, uh, you're probably missing the mark because they're not starting church until God's people show up. Um, And we're starting church whether God's people show up or not. Uh, That being said, I do know that there are some people who are habitually late and sneak to the balcony or to the back row. If that's you and someone ever says anything, just say, you know, church doesn't start until God's people show up. And so I just, this is when I show up. This is when God wants me to do it. Over the next month, as we're hearing from our global partners, my question for you to focus on is, how do we learn from them? How do we take, pa- how do they apply passages of worship? Um, how do they approach community? Uh, how do they approach passages of scripture differently than you? How do they hold their Bible? Uh, I want us to be just keen observers and not hurrying because there's so much to pick up on there. Because if we're going to be honest, when we look at scripture, um, we get a good piece of the pie, um, but there's probably a lot that we miss. And, and they get a good piece of the pie, and there's probably a lot that we can show them. I wonder if there are things that they're hitting that we're missing. 
So as we go into that, um, I'm going to call the band back up. Uh, there's a few questions you can be asking yourself when our global partners come. Uh, it goes like this. Um, as they were talking, was there anything that didn't sit quite right? Uh, was there anything that irritated you? Uh, was there any point at which they were talking that you just immediately jumped to the next step? You already knew where it was going, so you just got ahead of them. Um, the question of how do you take the statement, uh, the correct amount of time to observe a passage is as long as it takes, whether that's a minute, a month, or a year. Uh, and as we listen to our partners, I want you to ask yourself, what do they know that I don't know that I wish I did, um, and what can I learn from them? We tend to have a bias when it comes to Scripture, and that means that we read Scripture differently than people all around the world, and we read Scripture differently than the people who wrote it 2,000 years ago. So our goal should be to evaluate that, to identify that, and hopefully learn more about this God that we love. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, hey, God, it's Jake. Uh, even that statement is in some ways unapologetically irreverent. Uh, because when I look at Scripture, when I look at you, oh, it's all about relationship. And it's all about knowing that you saved me and how desperately I want that for others. And I unapologetically teach that because I know that. God, what do I miss? What do we miss? God, I thank you for everyone in this room today. Uh, I thank you for everyone joining us online because this is just so fun. Uh, God, I'm so excited to hear from our partners. I'm so excited to hear what they have to share with us. And God, I pray that all of us would begin to evaluate, how do I read Scripture in a way that's super healthy, and what am I missing? Because I think our end goal is freedom and just knowing you better. God, thanks for what you've done. Amen.